Well, we have our, our uh, first teenage driver in our home, and I will not name any names who that might be. Um, but not only is our firstborn having to learn to drive now, uh, but Brooke and I are also having to learn how to teach someone to drive. And that is, that is different, and I didn't expect the challenge that that might be. As you know, this isn't just true in driving, but doing and teaching are two very different things. Um, in, in, in terms of driving with something like that, you, there, are, there are many things, so many things that experienced drivers do without really even consciously thinking about it. There are hundreds, thousands of constantly changing variables and dynamics that, that, that are going on and you're taking in through your eyes and your ears and, and feel and all of that and, and you're processing that and, and to, to keep you getting from point A to point B safely. So the question is, how do you teach that? That's not rhetorical. How, how do you teach that? Somebody, please help. Talk to me afterwards. I, I want to learn. Uh, uh, but but how, how do you develop those instincts and habits? In particular, how do you pass along those? How do you teach someone to, to, to develop those instincts? One of the habits that a, a driver must learn is to check their mirrors regularly. Um, they're, they're, those mirrors don't exist to look at your hair or to check your makeup or they're not just for when you're driving in reverse. Uh, as you're moving forward down the road to your destination, um, it, it's, it's important that you, you, you check your rear view mirror, you check your side mirrors. You need to know what's behind you. You need to know what's around you as you're going down the road for, for safety and, 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 and many things. So you don't stare at your mirrors, but you do glance at them regularly. And so you've got to learn that. Well, the changing of a year, and this is what we are, New Year's Day, and, and, and we're, we're, we're falling right on that. This is, a, this is kind of a natural time for us to, to look back, and certainly we're looking ahead and we're anticipating a new year, and so that's the emphasis on a day like today, and we're, maybe you've got res, resolutions that you've made, but you're, whether you've stated them, consciously thinking about them or not, you're, you're thinking forward, you're thinking ahead, and what, what are we going to do, what, are, what changes need to happen in my life, and, and, and we're doing that as a church, and you're anticipating what's coming in, the, in this year, but it's also a time I think we can't help but kind of look back, and we, we look over our shoulder, we look in the mirrors and see what, what's, what's happened what, is, what, have, what have we learned? What, have, what has God taught us? How has he been working? Where, where have we struggled? Where have we failed? And, and, and so while we're resolving to move forward, we've got we to gotta remember to look back, to check our mirrors as individuals, as families, even as a nation, but certainly talking about as a church. Um, and so the fourth chapter of Joshua, what uh, uh, Mr. Pell read just a moment ago, it, it recounts a time in Israel's history when God helped his people develop that habit of looking back as they move forward. That's what we see in Joshua 4. We, we find Israel on the bank of a swollen river, the east bank of the Jordan River. And, and it had been 450 long years since, since God's people, uh, those first ancestors, came to Egypt for relief from famine. 450 years prior, long after the death of Joseph, uh, they were put in bondage under a very cruel administration there in Egypt. But God raised up Moses to deliver them, to lead them out of slavery and into freedom. But now for 40 years, Israel's been wandering in the wilderness. And now here they are, finally pressing in on the promised land. 
Moses has died along with the whole generation of Israelites. Joshua is now the God-appointed leader of his people. And, and, and the people, probably some two million people, two million Israelites, they're, they're finally ready to take possession of the land that God swore to them. And so on the other side of that river is a land flowing with milk and honey. But also on the other side of that river is a land filled with armed Canaanite people. Fortified cities and high walls, trained armies, sharp swords that are ready to kill invaders. This is, this is the situation. They're excited, terrified as they stand on that bank. Now to make matters worse, the text tells us in, in, in Joshua 3, we'll read there in just a moment, that the, the Jordan River was flowing at flood level. This type, this season that overran its banks, and, and some say it was probably 12 to 15 feet deep, and so this was a swim across the river if you were to cross it, and it was up to a mile wide, a, few hundred, a couple hundred yards to a mile wide, depending on the place. So crossing the river would be no easy task. It all seemed impossible. And so what Joshua needed was, was a Moses-like moment. He needed God to just miraculously kind of unzip the river just like he did the Red Sea and pull it back. And this is exactly what God does. So if you're there in Joshua 4, just turn back a page maybe to Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. Joshua 3, verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people... And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. At at that time, verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now, I just want to imagine what that was like to be at the place where the waters piled up. And you have no clue what's going on. You're just some, you know, grazing your flocks, and then you see these waters just start piling up. And, and then to be downstream into what happened. Uh, but this, this is going on, verse 17. Now, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground, In the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished finished passing over the Jordan. So there are really two miracles that take place on this day. The first is God causes the waters to pile up in this great heap upstream. And so it just stops, this, this invisible dam basically. And then secondly, God causes that soupy riverbed to dry out and become like pie crust. Where they can just walk right across. It's dry ground. Not muddy, sloppy mess, but dry ground. And, and so all the men, all the women, all the children, all the animals are able to cross through the Jordan with ease while the priests stand there in the middle of this ark just in awe of what's happening. And God did it this way, I, I think for a couple of reasons. He did this in this way for a couple of reasons. One, he says very explicitly... And it's to to reaffirm to the people that Joshua is the one that he is appointed to lead his people. So in verse 7 of chapter 4, 
He said, the, the text says, Today I will begin to exalt you, Joshua, in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So that's one purpose. But secondly, is to make sure that the people recognized and always remembered that God was the one who did this. This was not some freak act of nature. This was, this was something that happened on cue at God's appointment. God, God did it. And so, so, so here, they, they, they cross the river, and you just think of how surreal that must have been for them to now be standing in the promised land in Canaan. I mean, I, I, if, if you've, that, for those of you who have, who have um, owned a home, or even just after you were married and you rent a place, uh, you get your keys to your first house, and you, you walk through that door, and you stand there. <laughs> and it may not be much, <laughs> But, it, but it's yours. It's where you live. It's your home now. And so you've envisioned it. You've planned for it. You've, you've, you, you've thought what you'll, be do, what you'll do with it and in it. And, and, but there you're there. You cross that threshold and you're in it. Well, in a far greater way. Here, Israel is crossing this threshold. Something that's for hundreds of years has been promised to them. And, and now they finally take possession. God, is, God has done this for them. And so here they are. And, and, and so you get into in chapter 4. And, and so after the nation crosses the river, God tells Joshua to, to do this, to, to, to take 12, 12 men from each of the tribes to have them pick up 12 stones from the bed of the river uh, that, had, that, had, that are now exposed, the exposed riverbed. And so they're to carry these rocks, these, these stones, on their shoulders a couple of miles to where they camp for the night in a place called Gilgal. And, and, and so then they get there and they stack these stones up as this memorial, as a memory aid. We know about memorials. We have them all over the place. And you go to Washington, D.C., there are memorials and monuments everywhere. And, and, and so you, you got the Lincoln and Jefferson and, and uh, Washington monuments. And you got the Vietnam War Memorial. And so all these, these monuments, and every city has them. You walk, you walk around Atlanta or even smaller towns, and there's monuments and memorials to, to war heroes and to civic leaders. And, and so, so these, these memorials, they help us remember the contributions of, of, of people and of events and, and the lessons that are learned from those from those people and events. So we need memorials. We need memorials because we're forgetful people. I mean, we say that this was after 9-11. We will not forget. But as years go by, we, we can kind of forget. We don't forget that it happened, but forget the, the significance of it. And so, so we, need to, we need to remember. And generations will go, come and go and forget. So we forget all kinds of things. We're forgetful people. Um, and some of the easiest things for us to forget, even as Christians, are the ways in which God has been at work. Are the, are the, are the ways he's, he's delivered us. The ways He's brought maybe even small rays of sunshine into very dark, um, dark skies in our lives. But he, has God, I mean, I just ask you, has God come through for you in a big way? Has He answered prayer in your life? Has he blessed you in ways that you, you can't even conceive and didn't anticipate? Has he opened doors of, of opportunities for you? Has he, has he sustained you with grace through some very difficult times? How often do you stop and, and express gratitude for these things? How, how, do you, how often do you stop and pause and remember and think about this? Well, this is, 
This is what this is what this text is helping us do. It's helping us to stop and remember. This is not this is not the only place in the scripture where God does this. We certainly know with the Passover and and, and God's God's rescue of of the Israelites out of Egypt and and taking the lamb and slaughtering it and spreading the blood over the of the the door of the house so that when the angel of death passed over and took all the firstborn from the land, he didn't take those those offspring from from those those Hebrew homes. And what was this? God commanded the people after that to observe the Passover as a lasting ordinance. And why was that? And it's in Exodus chapter 12, verses 24 to 27, so that when children generations later ask, what does this mean? What is this about? What is this meal about? They were to say, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. It was this constant reminder for God's people that God came through in a moment of need. And this is what we have in Joshua 4. It says, after crossing this river, finally entering the promised land, God commands the people of Israel to build this stone memorial as a sign to say, God came through for you. And so, so we, we have to remember not to forget. Because we, 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 we are so prone. So three things, and Ed alluded to these earlier, so quickly. First thing we do, need to remember not to forget is God's works. His works, what, he, what He's done. The stones from the Jordan were there to scream, God did this. He, he did it. It was not by might, it was not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so, so the stones are there as a sign that, that speaks and says something. It, it reminds them, it reminds us that God is alive. And God is at work in, in human history and, 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 and in power, He works in powerful ways. Then and today. And so when future generations would pass by that spot... These stones remind people that God genuinely acted on this exact spot in human history. It's not, it's not magical. It, wasn't, it, was, it, was, it was miraculous, but it was real. The stories could be told and retold. There were no YouTube videos, no cell phones to capture this. So they built this memorial at God's directing so that it would remind that there were actually eyewitnesses who erected this monument that saw God's deliverance, His actual working. So that's, that's the first thing that, we ha- that, that, that God wants them to remember is, is His acts. A, a God who does not act in history, a God who, who is uninvolved in this world, is not a God to be worshipped. But, but God, we need a God who can pile up waters, who can dry out riverbeds. We need a God who can bring down rulers and set them up. We need a God who can cause drought and can send rain. We need a God who can heal diseases and protect our children. We need a God who can, can restore broken marriages. We need a God who can break addictions. We need a God who can regenerate a soul. We, and we have that God. He, he works. He acts. You've, you've heard stories about it even this morning. That God is active. He is working. He, he is involved in human history. He's working powerfully and in wonderful ways. He is not imaginary. And so, so these stones, they're reminders of what God did, that He is a God who does. He's a doing God. That's, what, that's the first thing that these stones call us 
to remember, to not forget. And so as we go into a new year, we've we got to remember how God has worked in the past, in the past year, in the past decades, in the past centuries, in the past millennia. And, and it helps us to have confidence that God is still at work. He will continue to work. And He's not absent. He's not distant. Second thing that we have to remember not to forget is God's character. Who He is. What He's like. And, the, and, and this, this memorial, it, it speaks. It, memorials talk. That's, these stones really can speak. If we have ears to listen. And this is what... This, these stones, they tell us something about God. God. God has put other memorials. I mean, He has made memorials Himself that tell of him, about Himself. That tell of His, his, his dimensions, of, the dimensions of His character. You read about them in the Psalms. And it's mountains, and it's, and it's rivers, and it's oceans, and it's stars, and it's babies. They, they all declare the glory of the Lord. So God has himself erected monuments, but here he calls on his people to erect this monument and, and it, and it, it will speak to God and who he is and what he's like. And so this is what, this is what they're doing. Do, do you hear the voices? What do these stone memorials at the Jordan say to the Israelites about God and to us? Well, you look down and at, toward the end of chapter four, down in verse 22 and 24, you see, you see, uh, you see this. God, God tells why he opened the Jordan and why he wanted these memorials erected. Verse 22, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So just a few things from that, those verses and from the entire context here. What a, what are some of the things that this memorial teaches us and tells us about God? What does it say about God? There's a few, several things, more than we could, we'll even mention now. One is God's immutability. We've already heard this this morning. Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. That's immutability. Is, that God is unchanging. That's what that word means. This is the same God with the same power who did a similar thing 40 years earlier at the Red Sea. Same, same power. It's this telling of his immutability. Everything they heard about him in the past was true, still true even, and it's still true even today. And so our God is dependably the same. Every time they looked at these stones, they were reminded of God's unchangeableness. Another thing these stones said about God was his power. I mean, you understand the incredible power of water. I mean, we, we see, we've, we've had the horrific footage of these tsunamis in the last decade in Japan and in South Asia and I saw a special on TV just the other night and it was some just kind of home video and cell phone footage and it's just frightening the power of water or if you've been in a flood or an area that was really hit by a devastating flash flood and a river that just that goes wild and and the power of of, of water well what kind of power does it take to stop this expansive, raging, flooded river and pile it up so that, so that God's people could cross. What kind of power does that require? And, and so every time the, the, the people, they would pass these stones, they were reminded of God's unstoppable power. Who can stay his hand? He's, he's, he's mighty. Another thing they tell us about is God's love. All the other religions of that 
in, in that time and really of the, of the world. They, there's not, they don't speak of a God who loves them as, as, their, as His people. But certainly the Scriptures reveal in us the true, the living God, the Lord. He is a God who loves His people. And, and certainly that's evidenced here. And so they walk by those stones and say they see the enormity of the love of God for them. That's evident. They see God's faithfulness. Uh, excuse me, his, his goodness. Let me say that first. His goodness. The reason that he opened the river was so that they could pass into the promised land. This land flowing with milk and honey. Something, uh, so, and, and so what a joy for people. They've spent hundreds of years in desert slavery. And now they enter into this wonderful land it's theirs, take possession of it, the goodness of God. Stones would remind them, they would remind them of God's faithfulness. Um, again, it's called the promised land because God had made a promise to Abraham uh, centuries before. And, and, he, and he, told them that, he told Abraham that he would guide his people to this land and give it to them as a possession. And so, so uh, again, they look at these stones and they would say, Faithful. God is faithful. He kept His promise. They speak of God's grace. Who were the people crossing the river that day? The finest, uh, most upstanding, religious, righteous, good people you've ever imagined. They were people who had shown over and over and over again their unworthiness. The people who complained, who rebelled, who committed spiritual adultery in their hearts as they chased after idols again and again and again. Yet God had not forsaken them. And so these stones, they say, they say to everybody who saw them, God is gracious. He's compassionate. He's forgiving. So, so we're here and these stones, they, they remind them, they remind us of, of who God is what he's like, his character, and they remind us of what he does, his works. And, and you, you see this in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is, I, I took a class in seminary on that one psalm. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. And, and um, so it's been near and dear to my heart. I, I, I love this psalm. But it's a psalm, it's a psalm written, it's about the word of God. Every verse contains a reference to, to the scriptures. But it, the psalmist is in anguish as he writes this psalm. You see this ebb and flow. It's suffering. If he were to stand here this morning and tell his story of, of how God's been faithful in his life, it would, it would, we, would, we would need Kleenex. It was through all kinds of affliction. But he says in Psalm 119, verse 68, You are good and you do good. You are good. Your character is righteous. It's good. And you do good. Your works are good. You know, that verse is bracketed by, by the psalmist saying these two things. One is, I, I was afflicted. Verse 67. And then verse 69. The insolent smear me with lies. But he says, in the midst of all of that, you, God, are good. And you do good. You say that this morning. What's going on in our lives? We can through eyes of faith say God you're good and your works are good and we got to remember that we got to remember that as we go forward second or excuse me third and finally what do we need to remember not to forget we need to we can't forget God's mission and this is what God wanted of his people 
Stones remind them that they have a missionary purpose as a people. Joshua told Israel that the stones would serve as a reminder, verse 24, that that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. So so from the promised land, Israel was to be set apart as a people for the glory of God and and to be a light to the nations. This This is their purpose. Stones were constant reminders of God's ongoing mission. They sat between what was... And what will be these stones? They caused them to remember, to look back, but they kept them moving forward with with God's cause, what what His plan and what His purpose was. God didn't didn't just want His people to to remember that He is a God who works, who does things. It's not just that He's working, but He's working His his eternal purpose. He's got a mission that He's on. He's bringing it about. He's not just busy doing random activities, you know, sporadic, miraculous displays of power just to do it, just because. No, he's, he's a God who's on mission. He's preparing a people for his own glory. He's, he's reconciling a world to himself. And, and Israel plays a crucial part in that mission. And that land plays a crucial part in that mission. And, and so God opens the way for them to enter this land and, and he calls them to lay these stones down. And one of the things that reminds them is that, is that they have a missionary purpose. God has set them apart for a reason. There's a, he's got a purpose that he's accomplishing through them. And, and this mission would extend way beyond the generation that first crossed the Jordan River. It goes, it's something, and this is why they're to, to communicate through these stones and through, 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 through communication to, to their children and their grandchildren and generations to come. And so God spells it out in verse 21 and 22. When your children ask their fathers in the times to come, what do these stones mean? And you shall tell them, your children, you shall, you shall let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. And you imagine that scene. <laughs> Many years later, a family's traveling across the Jordan Valley. Maybe they've gone to visit distant relatives and they're coming back. And so they make their way through Gilgal National Park. And kids see these, these stones stacked up in a, in a way that it wouldn't happen naturally. Someone had to do this, but intentionally. And so the kid asks, what, what do the rocks mean, Dad? What is that for? As kids would inquire... And the father knows, because when he was a boy, he asked his dad the very same question. <laughs> and his dad told him. And the stones there are to remind us uh, what God did before you and I were even born, son. We live in this land because God gave it to us. And, and, and he did it first by miraculously drying up that, that massive river that you see there. He dried it up so we could cross on solid ground, dry ground. And I can imagine the father telling other stories of God's, God's works and his power and, and, and talking about God's character and his attributes and, and explaining to his children. So, so this mission, it outlasted that first generation. That's the point. The mission, brothers and sisters, it's still going on. We, we're part of the same mission. I'm not saying we've replaced Israel in God's, in God's plan, but... But, but, but it's, it's one mission that God is on. It's this linear view of history that we have to see that God is, God is moving, moving creation towards a goal. 
And it will culminate. And we're, we're part of that mission that God is on. Until Christ returns, we've got to remember that. We've got to remember His mission. So, so, so we must continue to remind each other, teach about the works and the character of God, pass it on from one generation to the next. Parents, grandparents, Sunday school teachers, Awana workers, our, our whole church family. This is part of our obligation to the next generation is to tell them about God. Tell them about his works. Tell them about who he is, what he's like. Remind them and, and instruct them about the mission. Don't let your kids grow up thinking church is just one of those things you do on Sundays. and you know, if, if It's just kind of a part of our life. It's kind of our family and it's just kind of our religion. It's our choice. And No, you are a, your life is not your own. You have been bought with the price. And your, and your kids need to understand that and hear that from you. That, that children, God has saved me not just so I can... Can, can go to heaven one day. He saved me and he set me apart to be on mission for him. And the reason he hasn't called me home the moment I trusted Christ and just taken me to glory, why does he left me on this earth? It's because there's work to be done. And, he, and, he's, and he's calling his sheep that are not of this fold and they must come also. He has other sheep that must come and, he, and, he, and he's sending us to the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's how he's accomplishing his purpose. So we've got we've to instruct. We've got to pass that on. We've got to remember that. We've got to remember who God is, what He's like. We've got to remember how He's worked. We've got to remember His mission. The greatest enemy of faith and, and, and sanctification, progress and growth in Christ, it may be forgetfulness. There are other enemies. But, but like, in a, like in a marriage... The biggest threat to a marriage is, is probably not infidelity. It, that's, that's the fruit of something else probably. It's that gradual forgetfulness. It's slowly failing to remember the preciousness of your spouse. That's where it starts. And this is, so it is with, with the Lord. This is why Joshua says you must remember who Yahweh is. What he's done. What he's doing in this world and the stones give visual aids to that remembrance. Um, and the pattern carries over for us to the church. And we have our memorials. We have our remembrances. We, we celebrate the Lord's table together often. And, 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 and what is that? It's, 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 it's this opportunity to remember our Redeemer, our Lord's work through the, through the, the elements, the bread and the cup. And, and like the, the imagine. Our, as we use our imagination to imagine what that scene was like as the kids walked through, saw that stone memorial, we, we, we sit here with our families and, and, and your, your kids whisper, what, what is that? What is that? What is that for? What are you doing when the, when the, when the plates come and pass in front of us? What, what is that about? And it, has a, it gives us an opportunity. This is a good, good time to talk in church. And you whisper back and you say, this is so that we never forget the importance of the cross. So, so we, we never treat the cross like it's a piece of jewelry or furniture. It's, 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 it reminds us that Jesus Christ soaked up all of God's wrath when he died for us. And so we, we get to talk and we get to remember. This is, so we have our versions of that. And so we've got we've to do that. We'll talk a little bit more about this in the second hour. I'm going to make some application. But I want us to I want to have a few minutes of response in just a moment. And so this is what's going to happen. You, you should have received um, the little 3x5 cards when you came in. And, and I have one in front of me here. 
says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Looks like this right here with some lines on it. So this is, this is what uh, we want to do. Um, I want you to take a few moments. Just I'll pray and then, and then we'll have a couple minutes. David Brooksman is going to play on, uh, a song on the piano. Just two or three minutes. I want you to, to pray, think, and, and write down. It can be one or two uh, remembrances. Ways in which you've seen God's goodness at work in your life or in this church or in your family over the last year. I mean, you can go beyond a year, but I'm, I'm, I, I think something, and something specific, but something that you can share with others. Because we're going to, I want you to, to write that down, and I want everybody to participate in this. And if you need more space, you can write on the back, that's fine. Um, and then uh, we're going to have a few of the men collect these at, uh, before, uh, while we're singing in a little bit. And we've got uh, some space downstairs on one of the bulletin boards. We're going to just put these up for a couple of weeks. And so I, I would encourage you to stop by. So you, you don't have to sign your name or anything like that. It can be anonymous. Um, but just write down away uh, kind of your, your stone of remembrance and see, see how God has been faithful. You've seen his faithfulness. Write something down. We'll collect those. And just, just a, a little modest display. We're not trying to spiritualize the passage here, but just trying to show God has been good to us. He is still at work. His character is still not changed. And he still has a mission for us. And so it's just a way for us to tangibly remind ourselves of that. And so it can be, you can write down maybe a difficult time in which, in which, you've, which God has used to draw you closer to himself and to trust him more. It can be a good time that he's used to increase your joy in him. It can be an answer to prayer. It can be uh, evidence of some growth and change in your life, something you've been praying about and, and you've seen the Lord work in your life or in somebody else's life. And so, so write, write something down and, and again after a few minutes we'll collect those and, and, uh, um, and, and put those up in the next week or two. Let me pray for us. Father, would you um, help us to take time even today, not in the next few minutes, but even throughout the day here, uh, to look back, to check the mirrors, um, to, to see, see how you've been working in our lives. We, we, may, we may be so anxious to move ahead, which it's good. We don't want to linger in the past. But we, you, you call us often to remember, to not forget. So help us to, to look and to see your hand at work. And may it be used by you to give us help and hope and encouragement and comfort to, to press on with gratitude and joy and faith and, and perspective and, and courage and worship into the coming year. Um, Lord, we, we, we need your help to that end. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.